where y'all at today. How y'all doing? Yeah. Nobody's doing anything. Y'all just silent. How y'all doing today? Y'all doing good? Good. Good. Wonderful. That's even better than just good. Whew. Well, good. Well, today I'm planning on doing some of the same things that we've done over the last few weeks. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I've got this frog in my throat. I can't seem to shake. Uh, but <coughs> I'm going to do some of the same things we've done over the last few weeks. And some of you may like it. Some of you may not. Um, we'll see how it goes, though. Um, but first thing, um, I plan on at some point using the projector again to mark up the text, just like we did last week. I had so much fun doing it, I thought we'd do it again. And you all love my artwork, so it'll be, it'll be fantastic. Um, so I plan to use the screen again to mark up a text, partially because we got some positive feedback from it last week, and partially because I think it really helps us understand the text just a little bit this week, and it helps drive home a point that I really want to make. So... Um, we're going to do that again today, but um, I also plan to push some of the same ideas we talked about here a couple weeks ago. If you remember, I was pushing some of your buttons um, whenever we talked about the whole uh, election thing. Some of you all remember that. Some of you are thinking, great, we're going to talk about that again. Yes, we are, because Jesus talks about it again. So, yes, I'm going to talk about it again, and if you don't like it, well, I'm sorry, but no, I'm not. So, <clears throat> anyway... We're going to do it again because Jesus does it again, and hopefully you'll see what I mean whenever we get there. So I'm going to push some of those same buttons. But what I really want to do today is to build on the idea that we talked about last week. And if you weren't here, that's okay. I'll, I'll kind of clue you in. Because um, last week we talked about this familial relationship with Jesus, this family relationship with Jesus. And he talks about his disciples who are there as his closest relation, like his closest bond, even greater than his mother and his brothers. He says, these people who are here together around my teaching, these people are closer to me even than my mother and my brothers. They are the closest to me. They have the greatest bond with me. We have the greatest commonality. And that's what he says. And I want to build on that idea um, because it's, we're not here to talk about a biological family. Don't get me wrong. Biological families are great. But we're here to talk about a spiritual family. And that's what Jesus does. Those people who are together around Jesus in his teaching and his leading. So as we get together, the question naturally comes up, how can we be a part of his family? Like, how can we be a part of Jesus' family? Like, are there, are there certain qualities that we have to possess or certain things that we have to do? And, of course, I know the passage in Ephesians. I, I know Ephesians 2 where it says, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself. This is not of works so that no man can boast, right? I, I, I know. So it would be wrong for me to say, hey, you have to do this to be a part of Jesus' family. Because Jesus says, it's not about your works. But are there certain things that will come as a result, and are there certain, certain things that are tied to becoming a part of the family? Yes, absolutely there are. Absolutely, there are things that are tied to it. So that's what I want us to see. I want us to see some of these things that are necessary for us to enter into this familial relationship with Jesus. Like what kinds of things must be present for this to happen. And we're going to see this, hopefully, from the parable of the sower. Most of you are probably familiar with the parable of the sower. Um, we're going to dive into it here in just a few minutes. So hopefully, if you're not familiar with it now, you will be by the end of our time together. Um, but I think Jesus shows us what it takes to enter into this family relationship with him. And after we look at what it takes, then we're gonna, I'm going to show you just one simple result. Okay? So, I know you've been up and down. I want to stand out of respect for reading God's word. So would you all stand with me as we read God's word? And if you don't know where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 13. 
Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23 will be our text for today. It says, On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it, hasn't, it has not been given for them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, because they do see, and your ears, because they do hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root, and it is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown." Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Four necessities. Four characteristics. Four things that have to be present for us to enter this familial relationship with Jesus. Uh, but before we do that, let's, let's pray over our time. God, you are so much higher than we are. Um, Lord, you are so much greater than we are. Um, Lord, your knowledge is far beyond what we can comprehend. Um, Lord, but today I pray that you would just reveal part of who you are, that you would show us who you are. Um, Lord, the only hope that we have of knowing you is if you reveal yourself to us. So Father, today I pray that you would teach us as we look at this word. I pray that you would guide us um, and that you would use this time Uh, to build us up and to bring glory to yourself. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as we dive into this word, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so what are these necessities then? Well, let's just look at them. First, entering this familial relationship, becoming family with Jesus requires hearing. It requires hearing. Now, that may sound obvious. I hope it sounds obvious. You can't enter into the family until you know there's a family, right? So, of course, it requires hearing. But here, in today's text, Jesus, he's sitting here by the sea and he's, he's teaching. But this crowd, this massive crowd, starts to gather around him because they want to hear what Jesus says to the extent that it causes a problem. Jesus realizes, I, I, can't, I can't teach all of these people where I'm at right now. They're crowding around. I need to do something different. So, he gets into a boat, right? Which is a perk of hanging around with a bunch of fishermen. There's always a boat available. So, he gets into a boat, and he goes out onto the water, and it says that he sits down. Now, that doesn't mean much to us. Um, but, in this time, in this culture, sitting was significant. Because it would have been the posture that a rabbi would have taken whenever he sat down to teach his students. Sitting was important. So Jesus is communicating, even in his posture, what's about to happen. Him getting out on the boat and looking at these people and then sitting down is an indication that, hey, they need to listen because something important is about to happen. Okay, Jesus is about to start teaching them. Then in verse 3, it says that he told them many things in parables. And then he begins here with this parable of the sower. And we'll get to the other parables going forward, but today we're going to focus in on this one parable. And he tells of these different types of soil that the seed falls on. And we're going to come back and we're going to dial in on each one of these here in just a moment. So stay with me. But these four different soils, there's the, the ground along the path, right? The hard ground along the path, the rocky soil, the thorny ground, and then there's the good ground. Okay, and we'll come back to these in just a minute whenever Jesus explains them. But at the end of verse 9, Jesus says this, this little line. He's going to say it again and again throughout Matthew's gospel. He says, let anyone who has ears Listen. Let anyone who has ears listen. I think y'all have ears. Is anybody missing an ear? That would be really funny, actually. I think y'all have ears. I hope you can listen. Somebody, no? Okay. I thought I heard something, but never mind. Okay. Anyone can hear. And that's what he says. He says, let anyone hear. Let anyone who has ears listen. Any person who can hear, anyone can come and listen to God's word. Anybody can hear the truth of who God is. And before you can become a part of the family, you have to hear about the family. That's common sense stuff, right? We know that. But see, I'm convinced that the worst way that you can treat a person, the worst thing you can do to a person is not to outright oppose them. I don't think that's the worst thing that you can do. I think the worst thing that you can do is be completely, I don't know, that you can just completely ignore them. I think that's the worst thing that we could do. I mean, if you completely ignore somebody, they have no hope of knowing who Jesus is. Right? I'm convinced the worst thing that we could do is to ignore them. Until someone hears, they have no hope. Paul writes that, doesn't he? I mean, if you think about Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It says, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, first of all, y'all are thinking, Jared, it's easy for you to say you're a preacher. No, you all are preachers. That's us. That's you all. Like, it's our task to take that good news to people so that they can hear, and hearing, they have an opportunity then to believe. But how can they believe until they hear? People have to hear the good news of Jesus in order to be able to receive this good news. So whenever I say necessities of, of entering this familial relationship, you have to hear. That's necessary. Until somebody hears, they cannot enter into the family of Jesus. And that's us. That is our job, to take that good news. And the point I'm trying to make is if someone doesn't hear the good news of Jesus, they can never enter into his family. But it goes beyond just hearing, doesn't it? You have to do more than just hear. I mean, anybody can hear. And obviously, not everybody who hears the good news is going to receive the good news. We know that. Which brings us to our second necessity. 
Okay? Entering the familial relationship with Jesus requires hearing, and then it requires understanding. Verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came up to him and asked him, Why are you speaking to them in parables? Why? Jesus, it doesn't make sense to us. Now, interestingly enough, um, Jesus even has to give these disciples an explanation. Um, and that's going to become important here in just a little bit. But Jesus even has to give them an explanation. Um, and he gives them both the reason for the parables and an explanation of the parable itself. So he does both. Like, Jesus, why are you speaking to them in parables? Well, here's why, and here's the explanation of the parable. And then he answers the question, why are you speaking like this, in verse 11. Okay? And really, he gives two reasons. And here's where I wanted to stop, and I wanted to write on the screen a little bit, because um, I think this, this might help us, and we may not be up and running yet, but we will be here in just a minute. Oh, look at that. We are already here. Steve is good. He's all over that. Yeah. Y'all know Steve. He's on top of it. Um, so, what was I talking about? Y'all with me? Because I'm not. Whew, I lost my page. That's why I'm not with myself. Okay. So I wanted to mark this up because I think it helps us understand just a little bit of, of both why Jesus spoke in parables, and then he's going to get to the explanation. But why is he speaking to them in parables? And he answers here in verse 11. And as he does, it says that he answered. He answered, and am I, I'm not even where I need to be here. Okay, now we're cooking. All right. Why are you speaking in parables? And he answered, because. Now, this is that fun word. I tell you guys again and again, sometimes it's so that, sometimes it's because. Whatever it is, you need to box this thing in because Jesus is about to teach something right here. And I, lost my, I forgot to bring my stylus, so just bear with me because I'm writing with my finger. So he says, because the secrets of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom. All right, let's pause for this moment. He says, because. This because he's about to tell us why he's speaking in parables. Why aren't you just telling them plainly, they ask. And he says, because, because I'm speaking to you one way, I'm speaking to the crowds another way for this reason. And he says, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But what are these secrets of the kingdom of heaven? What does that really mean? What are these secrets? Okay, um, I believe that these secrets of the kingdom of heaven... I believe that they're a reference to uh, the fact that the kingdom of heaven, which the Jewish people all look forward to, the kingdom of heaven, they all believe that there was a kingdom of God that was to come. They all believe that. But I believe that he's saying that it's now dawning and the kingdom stood right before them in the person of Jesus. The king is before them. The king of the kingdom is here. And that's the secrets of this kingdom of heaven. The king is here. The, the kingdom is dawning. It's here. It's already entering into the world. And simply, I think the easiest way to say it, what are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? This is the good news of who Jesus is. He's the king of the kingdom that was to come. That's the secrets of the kingdom. So he says, why are you speaking in parables? He says, because the secrets of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news has come. And then he says that this secret, this secret, it has been given, has been given for you to know. These secrets have been given for you. Disciples, these people who are coming to Jesus, these people who are gathered around him, these, these specific people gathering to him, they are given for you to know. But then there's another one of these important words I want to I put in bold again for just a moment, okay? Um, secrets of the kingdom have been given for you to know, but... But these secrets, these secrets of the kingdom, it has not been given to them. It's been given for you, disciples, you people who are gathered around him, but not for 
them, not for the crowd, not for the Pharisees or the scribes. It wasn't given for them, Jesus says. Good news was given specifically for his disciples. Now, we hear that, and if you're anything like me, you kind of bristle a little bit. Like, bristle, I said bristle, bristle, that's something different. Bristle a little bit, right? You kind of pull back from that, because you're telling me that Jesus says that this is only for some people? If I read right, that's exactly what he just said. Now, y'all can argue with me if you want, but that's what Jesus said, okay? It's been given for some people. He says, for whoever has, more will be given, right? Whoever has, more will be given to him, right? Okay, we got that. And he's going to have more. He's going to have more. Not just more. He's going to have more than enough. Like, you can not only have enough, you're going to get even more. See, you are going to have more than you can possibly handle. Um, I just got to talk with, with my, my biological brother, who happens to be here this week. Um, I didn't mean to call you out, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, love you, Jacob. Um, so, I was talking to him this week, um, and we were talking about what heaven's going to be like. Um, and that, that came up, and what is heaven? And I told him, I, you know, some people make heaven out to be boring. Um, like we're going to float around on a cloud playing harps and stuff, and I don't want to do that. That sounds incredibly boring. And we were talking about heaven. And I said, I don't think that's what heaven, heaven's going to be like at all. I think we're going to be learning. I think we're going to be growing. I think we're going to be mining the depths of who God is for all of eternity, and we're never going to exhaust it. See, Jesus says whoever has more, they're going to have more than enough. They're going to receive more. And I believe that the kingdom of heaven, I believe in heaven with Jesus, we're going to be mining the depths of who he is for all eternity, and we're never going to exhaust who he is. We're never going to know it all. We're always, for all of eternity, going to have more and more and more we can learn about our awesome God. First of all, that's just a statement on how awesome our God is. Second, it goes on. Whoever has, more is going to be given. Like, if you have some knowledge of who Jesus is, if you, if you understand who he is and you continue to pursue him, you're going to grow in that knowledge of who he is, and you're never going to exhaust it. He will give you more than what you need, you, more than you can possibly handle. We get to forever mind the depths of who God is. But then he goes on here in verse, verse 13, right? Or, sorry, let's back up just a little bit. The last part of verse 12, he says, And he will have more than enough, but, who, but, again, there it is, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Those who don't have any, they're not going to gain anything. Even the little bit of knowledge that they could have had, it's going to be taken away from them. And then we get to what I really want to drive at here in verse 13, Okay. Jesus is choosing to tell these people plainly. He's choosing to tell this select few and give the secrets of the kingdom to these few. But then we get to verse 13. And he says, that's why I speak to them in parables. But then he says again, that is why I speak to them in parables. Okay? And then there's this fun word that we're going to box in again. It's used twice here in these three verses. He says, because. Why does he speak to them in parables? Well, because it was given for some, but not for all. And because. Looking. Oh, oh, man. Y'all bear with me. I'm terrible at this. I need my stylus back. Because, because looking, looking, they do not see, and hearing, they do not understand. Okay. Jesus says he's intentionally concealing some things from some people. Intentionally concealing it. And then he says, it's because even if I did tell them, they wouldn't understand it. They have, we have a responsibility to hear and to understand. We have that responsibility. So which is it? Which is it, right? That's a fun question. So is it that God chooses to reveal to some and not to all, or is it that not all understand? Like, is it that there's something about us that we've chosen to reject it even? What, which is it? Is, which one? Like, is it because he's not telling them plainly or because they don't understand? The answer, because 
the word because is used here twice? I'm going to say the answer is yes. It's both. Like, we like to set up this either-or conversation about, well, is God concealing it from some? Is God choosing who receives the good news? I'm going to say yes, because the Bible says yes. Now, do we have a responsibility to respond rightly to God whenever we do here? The answer is, again, yes. So we have to choose to receive that word? Sure. I'm fine with that. I'm good with both of those things. Because the Bible says both of those things. Um, I quote D.A. Carson all the time. I'm going to do it again. It says, the reply, the reply to the disciples' question in verse 10 is thus given in terms of election in verse 11. Verse 13 recapitulates the reasons for speaking in parables, but now it frames the reason not in terms of election, but in terms of spiritual dullness. So is it because of the people or is it because of God? And Jesus says the answer is yes, it's both. Um, Carson later on used this same term that I thought was really interesting. I'd never heard it before. He calls biblical writers compatibilists. We think that these two things are separate or exclusive. Either God chooses or we choose. It's one or the other. And I'm going to say, no, it's not. It's both. The biblical writers didn't have these separate concepts where it's like either God chooses or we choose. It's one or the other. No, both of those things are true. And how those two things work together, I don't know, but I know that's what God's word says. So, there it is. I believe what we're getting at here is Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, something we talked about a couple months ago, where Jesus says, Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus isn't willing to let these people, these people he's concealing the secrets of the kingdom from, he's not willing to let them trample these pearls. So he's intentionally concealing it here. So, I want to take just a little bit for that, and I know that might be a little heady for some, and some of you are saying, why does any of that matter? Well, I think it does matter. Because I've heard too many people have debates over, are we predestined or do we have to choose? I don't care. I just don't. Y'all, it's a waste of our time. I, I hate to sound cold. It is a waste of our time. Do we have responsibility to respond rightly to Jesus? Yeah, we do. Does God choose? Read the Bible and it will show you again and again, God chooses. Both of those things are true according to Scripture. So, I want to take just a moment because we have to understand the kingdom. Verse 16, he goes on, he says, Blessed are your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear but didn't hear them. See, these disciples are blessed because they plainly hear the secrets of the kingdom straight from Jesus. I mean, these prophets before them, they longed to see Jesus. They longed to hear Jesus' voice. They longed to see this Messiah. And these people, these men, they understood these words, even if it was only limited at first, which we'll see that it was. Now, I want to point that out, actually. Let's just do that now. Before you become too discouraged, and you say that you, you read your Bible, and you struggle to understand it, before you become too discouraged, understand that these disciples, they literally sat, in, or stood, I guess, in front of Jesus and listened to him teach, and they barely got it. They had to come to Jesus and say, look, we don't get it. Explain it to us. What, what is this all about? They even only understood in a limited fashion, and, at, and even that only after explanation. But I promise you that if you understand, if you listen, and you seek more of Jesus, you will hear, and you will still see, and you will get more of the kingdom than you know what to do with. You will grow. You will. It will happen, even if it is slow. And it's here that Jesus begins to explain the parable to these disciples. You get to verse 18. Um, and in most of our English translations, it just says, listen. Um, listen. But there's really two words there. See, he could have just used the, the command verb, which was listen, which has an implied you in front of it. But he didn't. He used two words here. He says, you listen. 
in the Greek. There's two words. You listen. This is a, it's to drive the emphasis. It's like to get their attention. It's like saying, you disciples, you who are gathered around me asking these questions, you've been given the secrets of the kingdom. Listen. Like you have everything you need. It's right here. I'm about to tell you these secrets. Pay attention. Listen up. I sat down with one of my brothers in Christ this week, and I, I admitted that I don't like to read. And that's still true. I don't enjoy reading. You know, that's not a big secret. I do not. As, it's, it's laborious for me. Like, it's tedious. I struggle to read. I don't enjoy it. My mom's in the room, and she knows that's true. Because whenever I was in, like, junior high and high school, until I was older than I want to admit, she would read my, my assignments to me because I hated to read. That, that's two things. One, I got a good mom. And two, I, am a, I just despise reading. It's not fun for me. But what I believe is that we have been given the, the secrets of the kingdom. We've been given the secrets of the kingdom. It's in this book, right? You all familiar with this book? It's called the Bible. Uh, 66 books all tied up into one. Secrets of the kingdom are there. Jesus, Jesus is revealed to us. God's revealed himself to us in this word. So why would we not listen up, take the word, and understand it? See, because we're being told plainly about the kingdom. So I, I urge you, pay attention. Listen. I think it's in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. See, the truth is there are going to be those who hear the good news of the, of the kingdom. Those who hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. They're going to hear that, and it's not going to sink in. They're not going to get it. And Satan will come and snatch it away. It's not going to penetrate their hearts before they can really dwell on that truth. And Satan will snatch it away. See, entering into this familial relationship with Jesus, knowing him, being this closest bond, it requires not only that we hear, but also that we understand. We have to understand God's word. Okay, um, I've been told sometimes I talk too fast. I'm about to kick it up a notch or I'm going to run out of time. All right, so I think, I think I've said this before, but buckle up, like reach across, get your seatbelt and buckle in because we're about to go really fast here, okay? Entering this familial relationship with Jesus also requires endurance, okay? Verse 20, it says, in the one sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And that's good, right? We want people to hear the word and receive it with joy. Absolutely. That's, that's what every preacher wants, right? They preach and then afterwards everybody's like, I need to receive Jesus. And they get excited about it. And they're like, yes, I'm so happy I can receive Jesus. I can be forgiven of my sins. These are people who hear the good news. They receive the good news. And they do it joyfully. And, of course, that's what we want. The problem is that there is no root. There's no depth. It can't grow any deeper because there's not that depth to them. Right? It's too shallow. There's no depth, so it doesn't last long. See, the truth is, there's going to be times of difficulty in your life. Jesus says that when distress or persecution comes because of the word, these people who have no depth, they immediately fall away. Immediately fall away. Now, what is this distress and what is this persecution? Well, in the Greek, the word distress, it's it's sometimes translated as tribulation. Some of your translations may even say tribulation. Literally, what this is, it's, it's pressure. It's like um, being confined and restricted and squeezed. Um, I think about it like a boa constrictor. It, it just wraps around you and squeezes the life out of you. And that's what this word distress indicates. And then the second word, this, this persecution Jesus talks about, in the Greek it carries the idea of being hunted down like an animal. Um, he says whenever you're being hunted down because of your faith, whenever they're pursuing you because of your faith. But now, it's not always that intense. It has to do with those things that come after you, and they just nag at you and nag at you and nag at you until you want to just fall away from the faith. Uh, there's a theologian named Charles Ellicott. 
pen on this word tribulation. He said there are the thousand petty annoyances to which every convert to the faith of Christ was exposed in the first age of the church and to which it may be added even now most men and women who seek to be Christians indeed as well as in name are at some time or other in their lives exposed. There are these petty annoyances that just come up and come up and come up. They chase you down. They pursue you. And for those, for those who have no root, they will wither and they will fall away, Jesus says, because there's no depth. Now, I thought about applying this to us and how does this really look in our lives. Most of us aren't experiencing such intense pressure that we say that we're being squeezed because of our faith. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say that. Um, and, and I would go further. I don't think I'm being hunted down like an animal because of my faith. Um, we have an awful lot of freedom to believe what we want to believe, and really, I don't think most of us experience this, um, at least not to that extreme level. But it does bring up a couple questions for me. Um, and the first of those is, what, what if we were? What if we were experiencing that atten- intense opposition? Would we still follow Jesus? And I know that's a hypothetical question, and it's difficult to really answer until you're in that moment. But, but think about that. Think about it for just a minute. If your life was at stake, if your job was at stake, if your, if your family was at stake, would you still follow Jesus? Is he worth it to you? I think it's an important question to ask. At least think through. Because Jesus wants, to be, wants us to be so consumed with him that he is everything. We're willing to sacrifice anything for him. And the second question that's brought to my mind is, how then are we cultivating a deeper root? How are we growing deeper in Christ? And not only that, how are we encouraging those around us to grow deeper in Christ? Because there will, even if we're not experiencing intense persecution, there still will be those, what Ellicott calls those thousand petty annoyances. There's going to be those for every one of us, those thousand petty annoyances that just just bug us to no end. And that will come to every person who claims to be a Christian. Every single person. See, it's going to be those funny looks you get whenever you pray before a meal or the strain that it's going to put on a relationship or not getting invited to this or that because the people that you used to hang around, is well, they know that you're a Christian, so you won't be able to do the things you used to do anyway. Or it's you're a Christian, so you'll want to try to convert them to what you believe. And yeah, those things are true. And they're going to be annoying, and it's going to hurt sometimes. I've lost friendships because of my faith in Jesus, and it hurts. Y'all, it's hard. It's one of those thousand petty annoyances. It can be difficult, but if we're going to be in this familial relationship with Jesus, it will require endurance. We'll have to endure even through these difficulties. It's necessary. And that's what Jesus is showing. So entering this familial relationship with Jesus requires hearing, understanding, endurance. Uh, Fourth, entering this familial relationship with Jesus requires trust. It requires trust. Now, in my opinion, this this is the one that we struggle with the most where we live right now. Um, this is the one I think we struggle with the most. Because, really, we, I don't think we worry too much about what people around us think. I, I mean, we do to a degree. Like, we want to we look good on the outside. Like, we don't want... But and we're taught from the time we're this tall. Like, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks about you. Like, we're, we, we know that, right? We're taught that. And I really don't think that we worry too much about losing our lives for our faith or, like, we're being hunted down. I don't think we worry about that too much. Um, But I think we certainly do worry about the things of this age. And that's what Jesus says. Verse 22. He says, Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. 
And I firmly believe that the reason we don't see more people commit to and faithfully follow Jesus is because of the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth. I am fully convinced of that. That's one of the biggest obstacles we face where we live today. I firmly entrenched in that stance. Because this age has so many worries. It does. I mean, how do, how do I get a nicer house? This is something I worry about sometimes. How do I make my house look better? Y'all, I want to look good on the outside. How do I get my new truck? Um, how am I going to save money for retirement? How can I get ahead so that I can pay for my kids' education? Um, the problem with that kind of thinking is this. When you get more, you'll find you still don't have enough. You could get more, and it still won't be enough. And then you're going to go get more, and it's still not going to be enough. And you see how there's this endless cycle. You know what the amazing thing, um, there's several farmers in the room. Um, I remember I used to always joke with farmers about how they don't want to own all the land. They just want to own the piece right next to them. Um, Some some of you you get it, some of you don't, whatever. Um, I always thought that was funny. You don't want to own everything, you just want to own the next one. And then once you own that piece, you want the next one. And then, right? Some of you are like, no, I don't want that. That's too much to manage. Uh, whatever. I, I think that's a lot of times true. So I think that's funny. But once you get more, then there's always more to gain. There's always more. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. That's what Jesus calls it. This age is going to try to tell you that you have to have enough. You, if you just gain a little bit more, everything's going to be fine. If you just get a little bit more, you're going to be satisfied. That's what you really want. It's just a little bit more, a little bit more. And you're never going to be there. Because once you get a little more, you're going to want more. It's deceitful. It's never enough. And in the end, all money has done is distract you from the reality that you will one day die and face the judgment. It's a distraction. And that's not to mention the many other worries that we have in our day. That's just one thing. Again, if you don't keep your home looking to a certain standard or your family doesn't look a certain way, and if you don't meet a certain set of criteria set forward by this age, then you're looked at as either an extremist or you're going to be labeled a hypocrite even if you're not living a hypocritical life. It's, it's going to happen. Like, those things happen all the time in this age. And Jesus says that these worries, he says that they are thorns that will choke the life out of you. That's what he calls them. Instead of trusting in anything else, Jesus demands that he is everything. That we trust in him solely and completely. He wants all of your trust. The reason I say that this requires trust is because the alternative to trusting in the things of this age or in the things of this world, the deceitful wealth of this world, is to trust in Jesus. It's one or the other, and there's not a third option. Either you trust in Jesus or you trust in the things of this age. One or the other, and it cannot possibly be both. See, he says... He calls this the things of this age, the worries of this age, when really Jesus is claiming to be the king of the age to come. Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verse 29 and 30, he says, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. He is the king of that age. So my question then is, what are you trusting in? Things of this age or the king of the age to come? What are you trusting in? Entering this familial relationship with Jesus, this closest tie requires hearing, understanding, endurance, and trust. And I can promise you that entering into this relationship with Jesus, it will result in fruit. It will necessarily result in fruit. Verse 23, it says, But the one sown on the good ground... 
This is the one who hears and understands the word, okay? He already heard, he already understood. He hears and he understands. But then it says, who produces fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Okay, I'm going to be pretty brief on this point, but I want you to see just a couple things. First, hearing God's word and understanding the word does necessarily result in fruit. If you have heard the good news of Jesus and you have understood that good news, like really received that good news, it's penetrated your heart, it will result in fruit. Like, it has to. That's what it does. It must result in fruit. Now, does that mean that you're going to know it all or that everything's going to be perfect all of a sudden? No, it doesn't. It takes time and endurance, and you will grow as you go. Um, Again, D.A. Carson, he says, In this chapter, the disciples are distinguished from the crowd, but their understanding is only relatively better, and they are not idealized. Even these disciples who understand, they still only understand in a limited fashion. They still have a long way to go. And they are certainly not idealized by Jesus here. Okay? So, that's the first thing I want to point out. Second is if you know Jesus, of course you're going to be changed. But I want you to look at the yields. Okay? Um, I was a little surprised this week, whenever I started studying this, uh, to find that these multipliers, this 100 times, 60 times, 30 times, these aren't extravagant yields. I always read this and I thought, boy, that's a tremendous return. That's a fantastic return. And I started studying it. It turns out it's not. And these folks around him would have heard this and would have been like, so average, average return. Okay. Um, so as I started looking into this, it said, of course, it depends on the crops that were being raised that Jesus was referencing. But uh, these yields, they are very average. Um, I read one commentator named Albert Barnes. He said, this is 160, uh, or that is 160 and 30 grains for each one that was, he said, sowed, uh, an increase by no means uncommon. Not an increase that's uncommon. Some grains of wheat will produce 12 or 1,500 grains. The usual proportion on a field, however, is not more than 20, 50, or 60 bushels for one. Again, you see that this return on particular seed is not all that extreme. It's not that great. The point I want to make here is that sowing seed, even on good soil, it sometimes moves a lot more slowly than we would like. It takes time. But the advance, even though if it's not expected, what we expect or what we hope for, it is still advance. It is still progress. So regardless of the speed with which we bear fruit, fruit will necessarily be present. It will be present. So entering a familiar relationship with Jesus will result in fruit. So what? Well, which soil are you? Which soil are you? Are you the path? The one that hears the word, the good news of who Jesus is, but leaves and never changes at all. Never experiences any of it. Never having that seed really penetrate your life. And if so, I want to tell you, like he does here, listen. Like, wake up. Understand God's word. It's sitting right in front of you. Or is it the hardness, of, it's the hardness of your heart just keeping you from really grasping who Jesus is? Really think about it. Like, am, am I that person? Is the hardness of my heart stopping me from hearing the good news of who Jesus is? Because if that's you, if you are the one who is not allowing the word to penetrate your heart, like the good news of Jesus, the secrets of the kingdom, if they are not penetrating your heart, the hardness of your heart is literally taking you to hell. Like, it's leading you away from Jesus. Apart from him, you have no hope. So I pray, and now this might be a little cheesy. Um, I got to talk to some folks last night. Um, and this is kind of cheesy, but what I hope and what I pray God does is he takes the tiller out and he actually loosens up the hardness of your heart, breaks it up. That's what you need. 
So pray to God that he would loosen the hardness of your heart, that he would break it up. So are you the path, or are you the rocky ground, the one that has no depth, the one that hears, and it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. I could buy into that. That sounds, sounds great. Okay, yeah, that's really exciting stuff. Good. But then there's no depth, and things get hard, and you just fall away. Is that you? Because if that is you, then you need to, well, the first thing I would like to encourage you to do is to get around other, other believers. I want to encourage you to get around other believers. Sunday school is a great way to do that. But there's a whole group of people, a whole bunch of people in this room that would be willing to meet with you one-on-one. I know it because I know they do it already. They'd be willing to meet with you and encourage you and help you go deeper, grow in your faith. Um, And look, there's a picture of a tree. Like, just think about a tree for a moment. Y'all ever heard about these giant forests and their roots? While they may not always go as deep as they need to, they start intertwining with other trees around them. And they actually have this whole system and they can support one another. That's the church, y'all. We need to start being so intertwined with one another. We can support one another and even help one another go deeper. So that when these difficult things come up, when the pressure of life comes up, or these thousand petty annoyances keep on popping up and they're just hounding us and hounding us, that way we can endure. We need one another. So are you the rocky ground? And if so, start growing deeper. Break through the rock. Or are the thorns of life just choking you out? Are you the one that fell among thorns? Have you been so worried about the stuff that won't last that you haven't really fully committed to Jesus? Because Jesus warns that there are many, he says many, who will, who will have the faith choked out of them because they're too concerned with temporary things. And if that's you, and if that's you, you need to start cutting the thorns out. Maybe you need to find a good chemical guy, and I was going to make a joke about the chemical guy in the room, but we'll keep moving. Um, Find someone that can help you cut the thorns out. Find a way to get rid of those worries in life, like those things. And honestly, what, how that's happened for me is oftentimes somebody calling them out of my life, coming alongside me and encouraging me, as I, even as I worry about those things, or just reaffirming what I know I need to trust in. So cut the thorns out. And it may take time, and it will definitely take effort, but over time, those weeds must get removed, or they're going to take the life out of you. Remove the weeds. Or, finally, are you the good ground? And if you are, produce fruit. It's that easy. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Uh Produce fruit. If you're the good ground, produce fruit. You know what healthy plants do? Because Jesus uses an analogy. You know what healthy plants do? They, They scatter their seed. That's what the fruit typically carries their seeds, right? So you see a tree comes up, produces fruit, and where's the seed for that tree? It's in the fruit. Okay, we get that. They scatter their seed. Um, now, I've said a couple times over the last few weeks uh, that God chooses, but we do have a responsibility. Like I've talked about that time and time again. And one of the pushbacks I always get on the idea of God choosing um, or who he reveals himself to and how he reveals himself, one of the pushbacks I always get on that is, well, then what's the point of evangelism? Like if God already knows and he's already chosen, what's the point? Okay, and that's, that's fair. Because taken to an extreme level, yeah, of course, that's what they're going to say. But you know what a tree does? It produces fruit. It drops seed. It scatters that seed. It doesn't choose where it lands or where it grows. They scatter seed. That's what our job is. We don't choose where it lands or even whether it takes or it doesn't. We scatter seed. That is our job. If we're trees, if we are fruit, if we are a healthy ground, we will produce fruit. So let's be that 
kind of seed. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Um, He said, until God gives me the roll call of the elect, I am going to preach the whosoever will gospel. That is the gospel we are to preach today. So if you're here and you're not sure if you're a part of the family of God, if you're not sure if you're a part of Jesus' family, I want to encourage you to respond to him because he says, come to me all who are weary, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Look, he's not going to turn away those who come to him in faith. He won't. He's not going to turn away those who come to him in faith when they come humbly and sincerely. So I urge you today, join the family. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we can come together and we can come around the teaching of Jesus. Um, Lord, and I just pray that you would you would let these seeds fall on good ground. Um, the good news is that while we were yet sinners, you died for us and you made a way for us to be made right. Um, so, Lord, for that, I, I praise you. Um, Lord, but I pray that you would make that effective. Um, Lord, I know you can... You can cause to happen what you want. Um, Lord, I'm not going to tell you that you can't do anything. Um, You are incredible. Uh, So, Lord, so I just pray that this seed would fall on good soil and that you would let it grow. Um, Father, help us as your followers to go and continue to scatter seed, to grow deeper in who you are, to be be your ambassadors. Uh, So, Father, I pray for your help in that. Um, Lord, but I'm just thankful today. I'm just thankful today that even, even when I know my heart was hard, you could break it down. Um, I know even when I was shallow, <clears throat> you were still removing the rocks from my life. Whenever the thorns came up, you cut them away. Uh, so, Father, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that in our lives uh, as, a, as individuals, in our life as a church. Lord, and for those who have never responded to your good word, I pray that you would shake them from their sleep and you would tell them to listen um, and that they would truly understand who you are and the work that you've done. Uh, So, Father, uh, make your word effective, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.